The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. For some of you look back at 2015, it puts a smile on your face. You got married perhaps in this year, and if that was the case, then I wish that that smile would stay for many, many, many years to come. Or you perhaps completed a major academic accomplishment. You got your pilot's license, or you became a teacher. Perhaps you had your first child in 2015 or your first grandchild, or maybe your second or third or fourth, and so on. Or you made a successful career change in 2015, but something amazing happened for you in 2015. Something so amazing, perhaps, that you're going to celebrate anniversaries for for that event in many years and decades to come. Something amazing happened And you know that your life will never be the same after this. On the other side of the spectrum, there are those in this room as well for whom 2015 was anything but that. They're on the other side of the spectrum of human emotion. The 2015 year was a year of loss. It was a loss of, it was a year of regret and pain. And your memories of 2015 are filled with tears and sadness, perhaps shame, perhaps regret or failure. Perhaps you lost someone special in 2015, or you got a bad health report from your doctor, or you got overlooked for a promotion at the job. Something happened in 2015 for you as well something that has changed your life forever. You know, regardless of which end of the spectrum you were on in 2015, everything that happened is what's called life. Life happened in 2015, and it will happen in 2016 as well. The Bible is a book that is very clear about life, It does not sugarcoat anything. It lays everything bare. And perhaps the book of Psalms is the one that addresses life with utmost honesty and sincerity. It speaks of life as a string of failures and successes. It speaks of life in terms of courage and cowardice, in terms of being abandoned and having loyalty. It speaks in terms of anxiety, and comfort. It speaks about the human experience. It speaks about life. And so this morning, we want to look at a number of psalms, and we we want to glean a few nuggets that God has for us this morning. Walter Brueggemann wrote a book called Spirituality of the Psalms. And in that book, he, he talks about the fact that human life has essentially two moves, if you will. The first move is when a person is moving into a pit. It is in this situation where life has collapsed around you, everything has come crashing down, and nothing makes sense. The second movement that Walter Brueggemann talks about is that of moving out of the pit. And it is this movement where, having recovered from the pit experience, 
the person can look up and understand why it happened, but more importantly, who brought them out of that pit. Brugman also suggests three additional states of, of human experience. The first is that of orientation. This is the state where life is perfectly in harmony. Everything is in sync, everything is good, everything makes sense. Followed by a state of disorientation. And it is the state where nothing makes sense. Things that you had believed before are not true, seemingly not true anymore. And the third state is a state of new orientation or reorientation. And this is a state where having gone through orientation, having gone through disorientation, you now have a new understanding of your orientation. The reorientation is not the same as orientation because you cannot take away the experience of having gone through the disorientation. These three states, as talked about in the Psalms, are what we can call the spiritual life cycle of a believer. The Psalms are written from the perspective of a believing nation, and they're also written from the perspective of a believing person. And so they consider these three cycles to be the life cycle of a believer. But it would be remiss if we do not address the starting state of orientation, and that is a state of misorientation. This is the state that every human being ever created, ever conceived, ever born, has been born with. This is the default starting point for every human being. In a state of misorientation, when a person is born, they're completely misaligned with God's purpose and God's will. In fact, they may not even be aware of God's presence in their life. Now, that wasn't the case when Adam was created and Eve was created. In fact, they were the only two people who were ever created who were created in perfect communion with God. When Adam opened his eyes, he knew as best as a created being can know, he knew God's place in his life. He knew the authority that God had over him, and he knew a perfect communion with this God, his creator. And having enjoyed that, the addition of Eve just extended that perfect relationship situation. Adam lived in a perfect harmony in this relationship with God, but now he could extend it horizontally into his community. And so the two of them enjoyed perfect communion, perfect sinless communion with God at that time. But through their disobedience, that perfect communion was broken. And since that time, every child Every man, woman who has ever lived on this planet has been in that broken relationship with God. The perfect image of God that mankind was created in has been stained and tarnished and broken. And so we have a misalignment and a misorientation between God the creator and man the created being. Now, as humans, because we are made in the image of God, there is a longing within us to right that misalignment, to correct that misorientation in our life. And sadly, there are multiple theologies and multiple mindsets and ideologies and lifestyles that will tell you how to address that. But nothing could be farther from the truth if it, is, if it doesn't account for Jesus Christ's presence in your life. 
This misorientation that we live in cannot be corrected through our own strength and through our own will, through any teaching, through any person. The Pope cannot correct it for you. Pastor Terry cannot correct it for you. It is strictly a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the misoriented human being and bringing them into an orientation with Jesus Christ and with God. And so it is the work of the Holy Spirit that brings us to to this recognition of who God is and the work of Jesus Christ and why that's necessary for us to be reconciled. So the work of orientation starts as a, as a work of the Holy Spirit in our life. If you, turn to, if you turn to Psalm 8, it speaks of this orientation that a man goes through once he has seen the true majesty of God. Psalm 8 reads this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. And so this this orientation brings us to a proper recognition of who God is and how majestic he is. God is throned at the right spot in our lives. It is here that we see, not just see, but accept God for who he is. It is here that we grab a hold of his outstretched hand as he reaches down to us. It is here that we start to realize that a God who is perfectly holy and cannot stand sin is also perfectly love and cannot abandon a sinner. And it is here we see the work of Christ on the cross and in the resurrection. And it is here that we come to bow down before him and accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Our life that started in a state of misorientation has now been brought into orientation. Now, it would be great if, uh, if that orientation happened and I can finish the sermon right here and say, They all lived happily ever after. But that would not be biblical. And that would not be real. Because even after our spirits are aligned with God, we still live in a fallen world. We still live in a world that is surrounded by sin and is groaning under the weight of sin. And so life still happens. And it is this life that somehow throws us into disorientation. It is life that happens to believers and unbelievers at the same time. And so when we read Psalm 13, for example, if you take a look at that, the psalmist writes in a state of orientation when he says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Those are the words of a man in a pit 
someone who has descended into the pit. Life has happened and knocked them off course. This is true. It is true mostly that we associate disorientation in our life with trauma or catastrophe or some kind of calamity. But it is also true that disorientation can happen even in the best of times through sheer complacency on our part. And so we, we have a good job. Life is great. The marriage is, is rock solid. Our children are doing well. They've moved out if they're at that age. Everything is great. And so we become complacent about our walk with God. Instead of staying focused on God, we focus on good things. So we're still giving back to the community. We're still serving at the church. We're still serving at the soup kitchen. We're still part of the local community center. And yet our focus is no longer on God. It is more important somehow to serve on the church board than to sit in God's presence. Or it is more important to spend time at the soup kitchen than to spend time in the scripture. These are good things. But these are not the ultimate good thing, which is focusing on God. So even in good times, through complacency, we can lose our focus on God. We saw that happen in David's life. We read that a few months ago. He, was, uh, he had received peace from God from all his enemies. And it is at that time in his life that he commits two of the greatest sins that are associated with David. Sheer complacency. It can happen to you and I just the same. But we are more familiar with losing our orientation during times of crises. It is when catastrophe strikes that we had not planned for. Not that you can plan for catastrophes. But they strike us so hard out of the blue that they knock our eyes off God. And then we're swept to and fro by the storms of life. It is similar to a ship that's on the ocean and gets stuck in a storm. The canopy of clouds is so thick that you cannot see the sun or the stars. And regardless of how hard the sailors strain against the waves, they cannot do anything. The ship is at the mercy of the elements. Sometimes life feels like that. Calamity comes when the doctor calls you and gives you a date. Or calamity comes when the business that you had poured every single cent and every ounce of your energy into fails. Or calamity comes when, when you lose the job that you needed to put bread on the table for your family. Or calamity comes when your rock-solid marriage is on the rocks. Or calamity comes when your child walks away from the Lord and you wonder where you went wrong as a parent. Calamity comes. That is a truth. Or calamity comes when someone precious and irreplaceable is taken from you. And just to give you a little bit of context so you know that I'm not I'm not speaking from a theoretical perspective. We, we experienced some of this over the last few years. Two years ago, June 19th, it was early in the morning, around 3 o'clock or so, the phone rang in our home, and I, being the light sleeper, answered it. It was my sister on the other, other line or on the other end. Uh, she, lives in, she lives in London, England. 
And between her wailing and crying and tears, I, I figured out that our mother had passed away that morning. That was not part of the plan. That was not part of my plan. The plan was for my mom and dad to come and stay with us and have a few years where they could enjoy their grandchildren growing up. Her death was not part of the plan. And that's when calamity comes, when someone irreplaceable is taken from you. And it comes upon all of us. Calamity takes you to a place of complete distress and anguish. In the midst of calamity, all you can think of is that there is only anguish and there is no hope. There is only today. There is no tomorrow. There is only darkness. There is no light. I wonder if you can relate to that. This is, this is the experience of being in the pit that Walter Brueggemann talks about. I wonder if you can relate to being in that pit. Because you see, when you're in the pit, life doesn't seem fair. It's not fair that I lost my job. It's not fair that I did not get the promotion. It's not fair that my marriage that I had invested in fell apart. It's here when we cry, why, to God. It is here we feel that God has completely abandoned us. We wonder why bad things happen to good people. Why is that the case? We wonder where God is in all of this. We even wonder and question God's sovereignty and authority in our lives. And sometimes those raw emotions come out in the words we speak. If you remember the story of, uh, of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus, this is found in the Gospel of John. Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, were good friends of Jesus. Lazarus was sick, and so the sisters sent a messenger to, David, to Jesus and said, the one you love is sick. And of course, there was a plea in there, please come and heal our brother. Now, we have history on our side, so we understand the perspective, the divine purpose behind Jesus' actions. But Jesus did not go right away. He could have, but he said, we are not going to go yet. When Jesus finally arrives in Bethany, it's been four days since Lazarus has been dead. He's been in the tomb for four days. Mary decides that she doesn't want to see Jesus, so she stays at home. But Martha, who's kind of a firecracker anyways in the, in the Bible, she decides to meet Jesus on the path, on the road. And so as Jesus is making his way into Bethany, Martha comes up, sees Jesus, and says to him this, Lord, if you were here, my brother would not have died. She is accusing Jesus. And you know, it's, it's easy for us with the hindsight of history to accuse her of being so negative. But if you place yourselves in Martha's shoes, she felt abandoned. She felt abandoned by a friend. She knew that Jesus could heal her brother and Jesus didn't show up. Jesus deserted her in the time of her need. And so when she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would, have would not have died. She is speaking raw emotion. And I wonder 
I'm certain that people in this room, and since Martha spoke those words, people have spoken the exact words just personalized for your own life. Lord, if you had been here, my child would not have been hit by a drunk driver. Lord, if you had been here, my business would not have failed. Lord, if you had been here, and you can finish that sentence in any way you wish, it is perfectly fine and it is perfectly safe to speak to God in raw emotion. He can take that. He understands that. Now it is whether through complacency or calamity, the result is the same, that we lose our eyes and our focus on Jesus Christ. Now let me just give you a, a warning. The pit is a dangerous place to stay. Everyone goes through the pit experience in their life, believers and non-believers. But the pit is not a place where you linger, where you stay. It is a place where you seek, where you seek God in earnestness. Life deals you a hand that is not fair. God seems distant. He may seem completely absent. And the darkness in your life may be so deep that you cannot see anywhere. You cannot see God around you. But the believer knows that even in the midst of the darkness, there is light. The believer knows that in the midst of walking through the valley of the shadow of death, there is life. And the believer knows that even when all seems lost, he knows the way. And so the believer seeks to reorient themselves with God in their pit experience. We read Psalm 30 earlier this morning. And Psalm 30 is a psalm of reorientation. It is a psalm that takes the believer out of the pit and puts him back in a right relationship with God and in a right relationship with their surroundings. But it is a psalm of reorientation. You see, God did not create automatons or robots or androids that after we've gone through a calamity or a pit experience, he wipes our memory clean and we go back to our original state. That is not the way God designed us. He has designed us to remember our pit experience. But more importantly, he has designed us to remember him bringing us out of that pit experience. And so let me share with you just a few quick, quick things you can do when you find yourself in the pit and you're looking to reorient yourself. Seek others. Seek others who've been in the pit. This is the way the body of, body of Christ is designed. The church is supposed to stand together and walk each other through these times of trials, through these traumas. And so if you're hurting, if you're in the pit, reach out to someone who has already gone ahead of you. In my case, with the loss of my mom, with my mom's death, we were surrounded, my whole family was surrounded by members of this church body, and we felt very much comforted and taken care of. And yet it was Anthony Dick, who is part of our small group. When I shared with him how I was feeling at the loss of my mom, he said to me, I know how you feel, and I believed him. And I believed him because just about eight or ten months 
prior to that, he had lost his mom. And so I knew that when Anthony would say, I know how you feel, I knew that he knew how I felt. So seek out someone who has already gone ahead of you and walked through that pit. Consequently or conversely, maybe you are the one who is on the outside now. Look around you and find someone who's in the pit that you were in and reach down and be the hands and feet of Christ to help them through this. The second thing is to seek God more fervently even when you don't feel like it. Seek God and have a conversation with Him even when you don't want to talk to Him. Remember God and His character. Remember His promises. Remember His goodness. Remember His faithfulness. Remember who He is. If you don't remember anything else, just remember His name. The name He gave to Moses, which was Yahweh, which means, I am who I am. I am. That is God's name. Remember that. Because for every situation that you're going through, His promise, His name is, I am. He is present in your present. And so when it seems that you have been abandoned, remember that His name is Jehovah Rohi, which means the Lord is my shepherd. When it feels that you're surrounded by enemies and there is no way out, remember that His name is Jehovah Cherub, which means the Lord, the glorious sword. Remember his name, Jehovah Gebor Milkama, which means the Lord mighty in battle. Remember his name, Jehovah Ezuz Gebor, which means the Lord strong and mighty. Remember his name, Jehovah Maski, which means the Lord my refuge. Remember his name, Jehovah Megan, which means the Lord my shield. Remember his name, Jehovah Maozi, which means the Lord my fortress. Or his name, Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord my banner. If you're entering any battle, remember that He is all of that for you. He is your Jehovah. When you find yourself weak, remember that His name is Jehovah Uzi, which means Lord, my strength. Or when you're surrounded by darkness, remember His name, Jehovah Ori, which means the Lord is my light. Or when you struggle with sin and it's wearing you down, Remember Jehovah Mekodishkam, which means the Lord who sanctifies me and makes me holy. Or when there is injustice done to you in your life, remember his name, Jehovah Hoshapet, which means the Lord, the judge. Or remember Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Remember Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who sends peace. Or Jehovah Rofeka, which means the Lord who heals. Or remember Jehovah Melech Olam, which means the Lord, the King forever. Remember who He is. Remember I am. That is His name and that is His promise for you. One more thing you can do is to remember God's purpose for your life. In Romans 8 verse 28, which is a an often misquoted verse by the prosperity teachers. It says this, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. That is a verse that 
points to the fact that God will correct and bring good out of your calamity today. The simple verse reminds us of God's sovereignty and absolute authority over everything. It reminds us of God's presence and purpose in the life of his children. What is this good that this verse speaks of? Now, if you were sitting in a church where prosperity gospel was preached, I would tell you that if you've lost your job, God has already got a better job lined up for you. Or if you are sick, then God is already planning a healing for you. Or if your marriage is on the rocks, that God is already planning to take you out to a new level in your marriage. Now, I believe that that is true in many cases. In many cases, when there is sickness in your life, God will bring healing. If there is turmoil in your family, God will bring restoration and reconciliation. If there is loss, God will restore. But to take a transactional look, I lose something, but I gain something better. That type of a look, I believe, is unbiblical and does not support God's character. Because in the very next verse, it says that God's purpose for our lives is for us to be conformed into the likeness of Christ. So if we reduce our interaction with God to a transactional basis, we are doing great injustice to who he really is. And so the question that comes out of a believer's experience of disorientation and reorientation is this. Are you more Christ-like today? And if you look at 2015, are you able to say that you are more Christ-like at the end of 2015 than you were at the beginning? You have gone through good times and you have gone through bad times, but God's ultimate plan through all of that has been to mold you into a greater likeness of His Son. You may not have received healing, but through that sickness, did you become more Christ-like? You did not get a new job or a better job, but through that loss, did you become more Christ-like? Good times and bad times are all part of life. Life happens to every one of us. But as we move through life, it is crucial that we maintain our focus on God. There are many, as I said, many here this morning who are going through this reorientation in their lives. You see, reorientation doesn't mean that you go back to the way things were. Reorientation means that you come out of your pit experience with a deeper and fresher and newer understanding of God in your life. Remember that God is with you. And even though I would want to pray that 2016 would bring all manners of success and no failures whatsoever to you, I don't think that will be a true prayer. I believe my prayer for you this morning is that whatever comes your way in 2016, that you will not take your eyes off God, that you will always know that He is present in your present, and that at the end of it all, His purpose is to see you conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Amen. What Ozer didn't tell us.
is that it isn't just one dip down and then one dip up, and we're on our way to heaven. Life happens like a pilgrim's journey. Probably seven, eight serious dips down and seven or eight glorious times of victory if we don't let ourselves get too proud. And then there's disintegration. I now have to have a cane. And I got some machine inside that keeps the heart working. Won't be long before you'll be having a funeral service for me. And then there'll be a reintegration. Incredible and glorious. It is well with our souls. All is well in the entire journey. Sermon started with, I will exalt you, Lord, but I'm going to change the words and say it for all of us together. We will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted us up out of the depths and did not let our enemies gloat over us. Lord, our God, we call to you for help and you healed us. You, Lord, brought us up from the realm of the dead. You spared us from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you, his faithful people, now and forevermore. Amen.